Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. But I've spent a fair bit of time looking into paper airplane designs in the last, I don't know, 35 years. And there's one thing that stands out in paper airplane design that's really, really, really important. It's all about the first fold. Because the first fold decides whether you're going to make a paper airplane that's symmetrical or not. It decides whether it's going to be balanced and square. That first fold is the most significant fold in a paper airplane. And I can tell you from many times of being lazy and getting it wrong at one extreme, or at the other extreme, doing it 15 times and ending up with like a mushy line to try and get it right. So you sort of have this little vague idea of what the center line is. It makes a massive difference because every other line depends on that first line. Now, not every design is built that way, but most paper airplane designs are built around a center line. Very much the same with life. It's like the backbone of a skeleton or the foundation of the house. Or if you want to use a Christian analogy, a cornerstone of some brickwork. The first stone that decides what square looks like. As a pastor, the most exciting and scary thing of my role is discipleship, is helping people grow in their understanding of what the fullness of life looks like. It's pretty exciting, but the scary side of it is that I don't get to choose how anyone folds their paper airplane. And everyone can decide what is important in their lives. You get some people at one extreme that have the whatever, who cares sort of attitude. I'll just wing it, doesn't really matter. Let's just go with the flow. And you get the people at the other side that are bound up in fear and don't want to get it wrong. It's sort of two extremes, but there's everybody sort of sits somewhere in that spectrum. Today, I want to talk about a characteristic of God that we've actually been talking about in the whole series, because every characteristic fits into this characteristic. It's the characteristic that God is the gospel. Now, the gospel is just good news, but this is the good news. This is the backbone, the spine, the foundation. The the most significant news is God. God is the good news. But this is a fairly wishy-washy concept. And so I want to just unpack what the gospel actually means, but then more so show why it's so important. Why all the other lines depend on this line? Why all the other bones depend on the spine? So it may be really familiar to you. This may be new. It doesn't matter. Those that it's familiar to, hopefully there's delight and excitement in what I share. And for those that it's new to, I hope there's delight and excitement in what I share. So let's go through what is the gospel and the popular common passage to explain the gospel. John 3.16. For those who have been around a church for a while, you've probably heard John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. And we've already talked about God's love this morning in a number of different ways. But over the last number of years, I've really wrestled with this idea of love. I think we get really confused about what love is. 
And if we're going to have a straight backbone, a center line that's sharp and clear and well-defined, we've got to actually know what it means for God to love the world. This is my work in progress, current best definition of love. Now, it's not any love. This is the Greek word agape, which is God's love. So there's all different sorts of love. There's romantic love. Saying God loved the world is not the same as me saying I love ice cream. And we can, we can understand that it's a different sort of love, I hope. So this is my current best, well, I've been working on a definition of what I understand scripture says, what love is. Always investing in the other's good potential. Now, every word is significant in this. Always reflects the idea that it's unconditional. It's not dependent on what someone else does. So if someone was to behave a particular way, and you decided no longer to do this, then it wouldn't be unconditional. It wouldn't be always. There would be conditions on it. It'd only be sometimes. So this sort of love is unconditional. Investing is about giving and sacrifice. It's always giving, always sacrificing. It's about the other person. It's not about what you receive. It's about what you give. This sort of love is a giving love. Now, in the others, others I've just put generically, it can be for a group of people, it can be for an individual. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't want to define what others is, but it's, it's people. But when we say good, who decides what's good? Because this changes things a lot. Who do you think decides what's good? God. As the creator, as the one that creates everything, that decided what it was all about, Surely that's the only person that can decide what good is. Because they designed it, they decide what it was designed for. So it's always investing in the other's God potential is another way of putting it. And the potential is his good plan, his purpose. This changes the idea of what love is. Because love doesn't always feel nice. And this is often where we struggle because we struggle with things not going our way. Every parent knows you can't give your child everything they want because they would ask for ice cream for dinner every night. They don't care about what their teeth look like when they're 20, but you go, your God potential is way past 20. I'd love you to be able to eat a steak for longer than 20 years old. And so I'm going to say no to you And I'm going to disappoint you now because I see your good potential for the future. And so love is not always giving someone what they want, but it is giving them what they need to fulfill, to head towards, to get the best opportunity for the good potential. Does this make sense? It's really important because when we talk about love, we often talk about feelings. And this is emotional in the sense that we care, we have concern, we have interest. The investment is an emotional investment, but it's one that cares about the good potential of someone, not necessarily the short-term pleasure. And that's really important. So he gave us his only son. So Jesus' death and resurrection is God's ultimate investment, ultimate sacrifice into our good potential. If you want the fullness of life, if you want a life that has the fullness of the potential that God designed for it, 
then you can't live your own way. And you can't get the punishment that you deserve for living your own way. The rejection of God and the rejection of his good plan and designs deserves death. It, it makes perfect sense that if I was to design a paper airplane and it didn't fly very well, I'd throw it in the bin and I'd start again and try and make a better one. And if God's creation doesn't function in its purpose, what's its purpose? And yet God loved so much that he would sacrifice his son, invest in a creation that was broken so that that broken creation could be restored to its good design. This is the ultimate investment, the ultimate showing of love. Whoever believes in, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts, whoever commits to, whoever has confidence, this isn't a believing that. Some people believe that Jesus died and rose again, but they don't believe in him. Jesus made it very clear in the lead up to his death that he was inviting people into a significant relationship. We often see the gospel, the good news, as a one-way street, that God loves us. And he does. He absolutely loves us. But his good design was not just to be a, a tap that just pours out constantly. It was to be a relationship. It would be a place where there is trust in God, that there is a bond that's created out of this love. We call that a covenant. So the gospel isn't just that God loves us, but he invites us into a covenant. It's a new covenant. There are a number of covenants in the Old Testament with the Israelites and with Abraham and with Moses, with uh, David, with Noah. There is a bunch of covenants. Now, Covenant is a special type of relationship. When a husband and wife enter a covenant of marriage, they're saying, this is a covenant that we intend to be permanent. And my design or my intention of entering this covenant is other-centric. I enter this covenant for your benefit. And so the invitation Jesus has in the gospel is to say, I want to enter this covenant for your benefit. But when you say you believe in me, I want you to enter into this covenant for my benefit. I want you to enter it for my sake. And we use the phrase Lord and Savior. Savior being the one that rescued me to make this possible, the sacrifice that meant it was possible. And the Lord being the one that instructs me, that gives me direction. So the gospel, the good news is that God demonstrated his love to us and invites this new significant relationship. And it's exactly what Melissa shared in communion this morning. An invitation to relationship. Now, for a lot of you, you probably go, I sort of, I know this. But I would also tell you that in my life, the times that I've stuffed up and in the lives of those around me have almost always come back to getting this wrong. Almost always. We look at the scripture, the whole of scripture, and go, it's so confusing. I really would like, I don't know, Noel's house in Harvey Bay, but I'm, I'm not allowed to covet my neighbor's possessions. We go, that's a rule that I'm meant to follow. And there's other, like, it's a big book with lots of things in it. But the center line, the core, everything comes off. Love and covenant. 
Jesus was the pivotal point of that, the anchor point, the reference point that everything comes off on. And it's either a misunderstanding or a disobedience of this that gets me in trouble. Every time it's ignoring it or misunderstanding it. And I think we have a beautiful opportunity. And this is why I say every characteristic of God that we've talked about feeds into this. Every characteristic of God feeds into this center line of love and covenant. We sort of deal with some of the tricky issues like God being judge. And yet being judge is loving. A good parent disciplines their kids. Like that's actually, that's a good part of parenting. It's not a pleasant part, but it's actually a good part of parenting. It's an important part of parenting. But also receiving gifts is part of parenting too, or giving gifts. And so everything that we talk about in terms of understanding who God is and how we get to connect with him comes back to this center line. And it's got to be clear. We've got to wrestle with this. And I want to unpack some of the other lines that connect to this center line and the impact that this has on that this morning. But I would really encourage you, before we even go into that, to this coming week, read John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Whoa, four whole chapters. I can tell you I timed it last night. If you use the Bible app and press play, it'll take you about 18 minutes depending on the translation, but we're talking about 18 minutes of content and that's not you even reading, that's someone reading to you. Because in Jesus' last days, he desperately wanted to tie together the three years of training and equipping he'd done to his disciples and he wanted to help them understand. He says a couple of times, I've still got to hold back some things from you guys. Like I'm trying to give you some detail without messing with your heads too much. And he unpacks all these things in that part. It might take a bit to wrestle with. At one point, his disciples say in that passage, why are you talking confusingly to us? Why are you talking in these analogies and riddles? And he explains that. I'll let you read that for yourself. I want to be desperately clear on this in my life. And I really want to build our collective desperation to get the center line square and true. And so as much as it might be simple, if we master this, everything else flows on from it. I'll give you some examples. What does experiencing God's love and covenant change? What impact does it have? The first and most obvious one is when we disobey God, when we go our own way, we call that sin. When we do things our own way, we are separated from him. And so one of the massive advantages is reconnecting in relationship with God. Now I've used the word trust here because a lot of people are not sure whether their life moving forwards can depend on God. Can you trust God? But if you have a square center line, I think the demonstration of what Jesus did on the cross to restore that relationship shows how dependable God is, shows how invested he is in his creation. If he's prepared to invest to that level, to pay that price, then my tomorrow is secure. My tomorrow actually is insignificant or insubstantial compared to what he's already demonstrated how much he cares. So our relationship with God is not one of worrying what he's thinking, not one of worrying what he might do, not one of worrying what his agenda is. He's made it super, super clear. And we can sleep at night knowing that God loves us 
that he has entered a covenant relationship in which he is giving. He has made the commitment in that relationship and he has got our backs. And remember, his love is not what we want. His love is what we need. He loves us even more than we love ourselves. We still do stupid things and his love covers that. It's amazing. The trust that we can have with God is phenomenal. Just to give you some little cheats of what you're going to read this week. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. They know you. They know you. It's not a mystery. Our relationship with God is secure. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. He is dependable. Our relationship with others completely changes. We have the opportunity to love others because we've first been loved. We know what it looks like to be loved. And we are invited to reflect that to others. This love, not like the world loves, because scripture talks a lot of the time about what the world's love looks like. It's conditional. It's dependent on things. It's about pleasure. There's a lot of caveats. There's a lot of twists in the world's love, but not the love that we experience in the gospel. This is a completely different sort of love. John 15, 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already given to you. I just want you to reflect what you've received, to hand on what you've been given. What about your relationship with the church? It really saddens me when people think they're moving churches because a church is not good anymore. Because for me, that means they don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel says we're all followers of Jesus and it doesn't matter where in the world you are, you are part of the church. So if you think moving churches changes like a church is a product or something that you can choose, it's a completely different model to the model that Jesus actually established. And he actually makes it very clear. Again, John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If he's the vine and we're the branches, you're either connected to the vine or you're not. And I'm not trying to say churches are perfect. I'm the first to say that I don't know of a perfect church, never seen one. But what I am saying is we are in covenant because of our commitment to Christ. We are part of the vine. Whether you attend on a Sunday or not, you're still part of the vine. You're still a precious part and you enter a covenant with Jesus that others enter into that means we actually have a covenant relationship too. The other analogy that gets used often in scripture is family. So if I enter into sonship and Catherine enters into daughtership with God, can I say I have nothing to do with Catherine? That's ridiculous. We're brothers and sisters. That's how it is. And I can say, Catherine, I don't like how you got your hair today. Your hair looks nice, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't change because being sons and daughters of God means we are in covenant relationship through that connection. And that's a beautiful place to be. It's not about performance. It's not about status. It's not about image. I'd be in trouble if that was the case. It's about that relationship with Jesus that we then get to co-labor in. We then get to encourage and champion and love people through. Your identity. This one I reckon 
for those of us in the West, is a problem. I don't think we fully understand the gospel when it comes to our identity. And the reason I say that is because the idea the world has of your value and your significance is the opposite to the way God sees value and significance. And I think we really get confused here. I don't think we have a very good spine when it comes to our identity in the gospel. Because the gospel says, when you enter that covenant, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your value is not what you offer people, but it is your new identity in Christ. The world will tell you your appearance matters. God will tell you, be the creation I created you to be. I created you beautiful. You were born beautiful. You were knitted together in your mother's womb beautifully. I don't know a single Western person that doesn't wonder a little bit about whether they look okay because they want to look okay to the world when they already look beautiful to the one that created them. I don't know a single person that doesn't wrestle with the idea of belonging. Am I actually known? Do people actually like hanging out with me? When our kids were little, I used to use the phrase, daddy is a funny guy, because I would say stupid things and I want to remind them that it was funny. I wanted to look like I was funny to my children because I cared that they thought I was a funny person. I don't think they're convinced anymore. <laughs> but I care what people think. And yet with a, with a really clear centerline of the gospel, your identity is no longer defined by the world. Your status, you know, people are embarrassed about maybe losing a job. Sure, there might have been some things you could learn or have done better, but God cares about who you are eternally, not who you are based on your status in a job role. We are so, so worldly image conscious. We filter what we say to people because we don't want them to think about us in a particular way. And this is so important because our freedom comes from the gospel. If you want to live abundant life, it's only found in Christ. And so how you see your identity, if it's off the center line, if it's skewed, you will struggle. You will live in fear, fear of what people think, fear of what the future looks like, fear of how others may interact with you. But there is true freedom in the gospel when it comes to our identity. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Anyone want complete joy? The gospel's where it's at. We can have hope in our future. You wonder what your politicians are going to be like in 20 years time? I have no idea. What your health is going to be like, what your work is going to be like, what the family dynamics are going to be like. We can't control any of that. The only way we can be confident about our future is trusting in a God who has a good design and purpose and has invited us to participate in it. John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's interesting, he doesn't deny there's not going to be any trouble. He's not taking the trouble away from you, but he is promising that the trouble does not define you. The trouble is not the end. The trouble is not the destination. Because he has overcome the world. 
And that then goes on to talk about the dark world. You do not have to fear the dark world. You do not have to fear what's out there. Because with this love and this covenant, God says he shines light into the darkness. And when you've experienced the gospel, you have experienced the love of God, the light, the transforming power of God at work. For me, this sounds like amazingly good news. And I've only just scratched the surface. Even on these topics, we could go a whole sermon on every single topic and what it means with our relationship with God, what it means with our relationship with others. But I just wanted us to realign this morning. I really felt God wanted us to check our center line, check our hearts. I don't think it was an accident that we've been celebrating the last 12 years of relationship with Noel and Melissa. Because just as we were talking and telling stories, the idea of covenant and love is something that they have reflected. They have received and have passed on. And for me, that's exciting. For me, that's amazing and beautiful. And it's not the only time it happens. But I think as we shared stories of generosity, of commitment, of integrity, of, of these characteristics, they would be the first to say, I didn't create any of that. I received the gospel and I reflected it. I think God has some good news for us today. I think he has some exciting news for us today. And I'd love us to embrace it that way. Not as something that's a chore or a burden, but as something that brings trust and love and covenant and freedom and hope and light. It is genuinely good news. It's the best news. It's amazing news. And the more I understand it, the more I believe it, the more I trust this good news, the more I experience the plans and purposes that God has for his creation. It's not something that you can just hear and go, good idea. I deliberately chose the word experience because you can hear the good news, but it's nothing like experiencing the good news experiencing God's love and covenant. And we don't do this very often, but if you have never experienced God's love and covenant, I really want to invite you into that. You don't have to come and speak to me, but I encourage you to speak to someone in the room and say, hey, can you pray with me? I'd love to experience God's love and covenant because it is truly transforming. And it is the most significant thing. It's the center line for abundant life. There's an easy acronym that you can learn in this space. It's called rubber. Some of you may have heard of it. And it's without the vowels. So if you think about rubber, R is to repent. How does that fit into the good news? Repenting sounds like bad news to me. Well, it's acknowledging that the good news is God's way, not mine. I have to let go of doing things my way if I want to enter into the covenant that's God's covenant. The second one is to believe, and we've talked about believing. RB. B is to be baptized. Baptism is a really significant part, and it's something that Jesus said to do. If anyone's not baptized and has wondered about being baptized, I'd really encourage you, if you have experienced God's love and covenant, get baptized. Because it's a, a significant demonstration and acknowledgement, but I also think it's deeply spiritual that reinforces what's happened in your heart. 
it's not just a token gesture. It's something that God has established and Jesus both practiced and told people to do is to be baptized because it's a significant acknowledgement and step of obedience in this covenant relationship. And the last one, ah, does anyone know what it is? Relationship, good guess, keep going. Receive. It's receiving the Holy Spirit. And again, spoiler alert, when you read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he makes it really, really clear. I am not leaving you alone. I'm going back to the Father so that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, can come and remind you and teach you and empower you with everything that I've taught you. We are not alone. We are not left. It's all part of the gospel package. Is this beautiful picture of abundant life God's way. Repent, believe, be baptized, and receive. I can't think of a better topic to anchor ourselves in, to to stew on, to feed ourselves on than the gospel of Jesus. And it might be simple and straightforward and you go, I've heard this before. Until I'm perfect, I need to keep hearing it. Let's pray. Lord God, as Thanksgiving Sunday, we want to be thankful for so many things. But right now, Lord God, I want to thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for the significance of that in my life. The way that you have loved and invited me into a covenant relationship. I want to thank you for giving sacrificially, even when I wasn't worth it. Even when I was living, rejecting you, you still gave. Holy Spirit, we invite you now, Lord, to remind us in our hearts for those that know the gospel, Lord God, that have experienced the gospel of the amazing power to transform our lives, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind the emotion, the weightiness of that first point of decision-making, Lord God, that first place of surrender, like it was just yesterday, Lord. The butterflies in the stomach, the, the delight, the overwhelming sense of your presence, whatever it was, Lord God, we pray that you would restore the freshness of your gospel in our lives, Lord. But more so, Lord God, I pray you would help us grow to maturity in anchoring ourselves, in aligning ourselves to the truth of your gospel. Lord, I pray like that tree that we would have deep roots, deep roots that are grounded in your truth, in your love, in your ways. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and bring fullness of life by your truth and your power. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your good potential in us and for the way you continue just to invest and pursue in us the goodness that you have planned before we were even born. Lord, today we delight, we rejoice, and we surrender and say, God, have your way. We are your creation, and in your hands we are the best we can possibly be. We trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church. 